0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. We talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your guest host, Jay Pickering, and today we're gonna talk about pastoral leadership. What qualifies a person to be a pastor? How do you become one? What are some of the unique challenges to pastoral leadership? How can churches support their pastors? These are some of the questions that we're going to discuss today in this podcast. So, Aaron, why this topic and and why now?
1: Well, I'm a big believer that God uses all sorts of personalities to advance his kingdom. We see this in scripture. If you look at the leaders of the Bible, we have people who have a variety of strengths and weaknesses. They come from different cultural backgrounds. They have varied gifts. We think of Moses. Moses wasn't as articulate as Paul. Uh, Peter tended to trust Christ quicker than Thomas. (laughs) Rahab was a risk taker. Uh, Priscilla was an excellent teacher. So... There's a lot of different personalities that God can use in leadership and even in pastoral leadership. So what we're not going to be talking about today is the the, the ideal personalities to lead churches. <laughs> There's lots of room for a multiplicity of personalities, and God can use a variety of people to accomplish his purposes. But I I wanted to talk about this because I'm hearing from... A lot of Christians across our country who feel they have been abandoned by their pastors, by their elders in their local churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, With everything that's gone on in our country in the last two years, we have people telling me, like, my pastor, my elders have said nothing. Or they've just mindlessly followed without explanation every protocol, every edict, every law. Mm -hmm. They've not spoken out against the hypocrisy. Some of them have refused to write religious exemptions for their people and literally been complicit in their people losing their jobs over their personal convictions. So in many respects, I think a large majority of the, the gatekeepers, pastor elders tend to function as the gatekeepers for the decisions of the church. They have failed their people. So I wanted to do this podcast in order to I guess give us a a fresh, renewed vision for what pastoral leadership is in the life of the church. I hope that this will encourage pastors and elders to refocus who maybe have lost their focus. Mm -hmm. I hope it will bring clarity to men that might be considering filling in, stepping into the void, and maybe feel the Lord might be calling them to pastoral leadership. And I hope it will also encourage people in the church to support and s- stand for and advocate for a proper view of, of pastoral leadership, to know what kind of men are worthy of the office mm-hmm. and worthy of being supported. Cause we don't want we don't want it just to be the pastors that know what pastors are supposed to do. Right. We don't want it just to be the the elders that kind of have an understanding of what an elder is. We want the congregation to understand what these critic what this critical office is, and to function uh, accordingly. Um, I think a couple other maybe lesser reasons would be sometimes I I'm I'm chatting with men who are thinking about going into pastoral leadership and they're they're not really even clear on what it is or what the function is. So that this might be helpful. Um, And I I would also just say that there are some unique challenges in every generation that pastor elders face, and we have some unique challenges in our generation. So hopefully, even guys that are functioning well in this role will just kind of be encouraged and equipped to function in a culturally appropriate way, in a way that kind of brings the gospel to bear on the structures and the... the authorities of our culture. So that's, that's basically why why I wanted to do this uh, podcast today.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's important then to start out by defining what the term yeah. pastor uh, means and 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 uh, how it how it should be used in churches. Sure. Today.
1: Yeah. So this is really important. So when when people go to church, they hear a lot of different titles thrown around. Yeah. So and it can be very confusing. So we have in various denominations, we have ministers. We have reverends. We have the word pastor being used, elders, bishops, overseers, archbishops, cardinals, popes, directors, team leaders, Padre. uh, uh, Padres. (laughs) I was called a Padre once and I was a fire chaplain. uh chaplain, so there's there's all there's a long long list of titles and terms that we use, yeah. and it almost might make people think there's like fifty different offices or fifty different roles in the life of the church. but I want to just bring some simplicity to this. Okay. So when we're talking about pastors, we're referring to the, the highest office of human authority in the local church. So in the New testament there's there are deacons. I happen to believe, based upon Romans 16:1, that there probably were female deacons as well, like Phoebe. She's mm-hmm. called a diaconai; That's the feminized version of diaconos. So we have deacons, and they have a, a list of qualifications in the pastoral epistles laid out for them. They don't have to be able to teach the scriptures. They must know the scriptures. The word essentially means servant. So what best as we can tell, deacons are people that attended to the practical... Uh, details of the ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pastors and elders. So in, in the New Testament, we have the English word elder or elders, and this comes from the Greek word presbyteros. So presbyteros, that's like Presbyterian. That's where Presbyterian comes from. In um, Titus chapter one, we have a reference to the presbyteros, and there, Titus is told by Paul in chapter 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders presbyteroi in every town as I directed you. So this is in, listen to the reference, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Two verses later, as Paul continues the same train of thought, and, and starts to sort of unpack the qualifications for presbyteroi, that's the plural, presbyteros, the singular. He then says uh, that for an overseer, so in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, so he's talking about presbyteros, and then he says for an overseer, so same train of thought. Mm-hmm. The word for overseer there is episkopos, so we have the Episcopal Church. That's from that right. word, yep. and that means overseer. So it would seem that presbyteros and episkopos are synonyms. They have slightly different meanings, but they overlap. They're synonyms, not cinnamon, <laughs> but synonyms that uh, that define the highest office of leadership. In a local church. Now, the word pastor is interesting because we tend to use the word pastor Mm -hmm. more than we use the word elder or overseer in a lot of our churches. Maybe ours being the exception because we use the word elder quite a bit. But this is the word poiemen, and it means a shepherd or leader of a flock, like of people. Obviously, a literal shepherd is a leader of a flock of sheep, but or goats, but this is a leader of a flock of people. And when Jesus is described as our great shepherd and the overseer of our souls, Poemene and episkopon in 1 Peter 5, 25, again, it seems to blend those two together. So mm-hmm. if Jesus is called the great pastor and overseer, pastor and overseer, if, that, if the joining of those two terms with the word and is referring to the same thing, then it would appear, best as we can tell in scripture, that the word pastor, the word elder, the word overseer have similar notions to them. They refer to Pastor is an overseer and overseers a pastor and elders an overseer an elder is a pastor. So this is this is the highest office of human leadership never to usurp Christ in the local church. Mm-hmm. Now then pastors are also referenced in that fivefold ministry description that Paul gives for us in Ephesians 4. some are called to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers etc in Ephesians 4:11. So in my mindset, And some might have uh, a more nuanced or less nuanced definition. But in my mindset, when I think pastor, when I think elder, when I think overseer, I'm thinking about the exact same role. Mm -hmm. So we have, strictly speaking, we have deacons in the church and we have elder pastor overseers in the church. Those are the two offices of a duly established New Testament church. There's slight differences in role there. We'll talk about that. But that's kind of what we're talking about. So just because you're on staff of a church doesn't mean you're an elder. Right. Yeah, Uh, It doesn't mean that because you went to seminary, you're an elder. It doesn't mean that because you're a guy that even preaches in a church, you're necessarily an elder Mm -hmm. or teaches a Bible study, you're necessarily an elder. It's an office. Pastor, shepherds, overseers are – under shepherds, under Christ, responsible for overseeing, administrating, teaching the local New Testament churches.
0: Yeah, it's good. Uh, those those terms actually help us understand the function of, of a pastor elder too.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's fine if you hire other people under your staff or you appoint people to leadership mm-hmm. and you call them the facility manager or you call them a youth director or – a team leader, who cares? Just whatever language you want to use is fine. But don't dilute or water down or confuse people. Your church Mm -hmm. should know who are the elders, the overseers, the pastors of the church. Who are they? That office, you don't want to get it wrong. Because if you get that office wrong, the whole house of cards falls flat. So really important to understand what that office is, what that office isn't, what the qualifications are for that office and what the responsibilities are.
0: Okay, now now that we understand that, that much better, how does one become then a pastor, elder
1: in a church? Okay, well, let me start by saying how they don't become a pastor, <laughs> okay. elder. So th- this is really important. You do not, listen carefully, folks, you do not become a pastor, an elder, we'll just say pastor, elder in your local church because you went to seminary or Bible college. No, 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 no. If you go to nursing school, you become a nurse. If you go go to engineering school, you become an engineer. If you go to medical school, you become a doctor. Mm -hmm. If you go to seminary, you do not become a pastor or an elder. You might, but in in biblical thinking, you don't earn the office by earning a degree. There are biblical qualifications. There are skill sets that a seminary education can amplify or help to equip you with, or maybe even accelerate your capacities and your giftedness. So we're not opposed to formal education. You and I have both done formal Mm -hmm. education and benefited from it. But we got to get this mindset. uh, We got to get rid of this mindset in the church that somehow being a pastor, an elder is is some sort of a career you pursue. I I, I got my MDiv, so I'm a pastor. No, you're not. At least you're not necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. It's not, you don't become a pastor by heredity. Oh, my dad was one, so I automatically <laughs> might, must become one. No, it's not some sort of a family business. You don't become a pastor, an elder by popularity. Well, you drive the shiniest car. You know, you're the tallest guy in the church. You have the best job. You have the most right. money. You have a large business. Um. You know, you have the best wife around, whatever it might be, right? Mm. No, that's, that's not – that has nothing to do with whether you are qualified as a pastor or elder. And it's not a job in the sense of – it's not a career like becoming a carpenter. You don't just mm-hmm. – you don't become a pastor or elder because you're looking for a paycheck, in fact, most pastor elders aren't paid, right? They're lay pastors, as we would call them in the church. so that's that's not that's not what we're talking about. So how does one become a pastor elder? Well, you have to read the New Testament, the pastoral epistles. So we have first mm-hmm. Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, those epistles written by Paul to these men to help to shape, their view of pastoral leadership, of eldership, and also diaconal leadership in the church. And interestingly, if you look at 1 Timothy 4, the first, essentially the first, qualif- if, if you look at 1 Timothy 3 following, you have the, the qualifications of pastoral leadership. So step number one is you have to aspire to it, mm-hmm. meaning you have to desire it. That in and of itself doesn't qualify you, but you don't want to be coerced into it. Yeah. Feel manipulated into it. Um, you then have to qualify, meaning you have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a list of qualifications there in the pastoral epistles. And then you're ultimately appointed by the eldership of your church. That that um, implies some sort of a recognition by the church because you got to be like above reproach, husband or one wife thought like, thought well of, so to so to mm-hmm. speak. But when the, the When a pastor is installed to that office, in 1 Peter four fourteen, there's a laying on of hands. There's, a, there's an official recognition that this person is an elder. And I say that because years ago, I was in a church. I had just started attending, and I was like a teenager, and I was talking to one of the older men in the church. And I said, hey, I'm curious, who are the elders in this church? And he said, well, who do you think they are? And I'm like, I have no idea. So he explained to me that in his church they don't they have no formal recognition of eldership it's just whoever you think is an elder is an elder. <laughs> and okay. I thought well, that's interesting that I think what that where that comes from is the notion that well you don't want to you don't want to put too much emphasis on the the title you don't want to put too much emphasis mm-hmm. on the person but it overlooks the laying on of hands. There is a formal recognition about who an elder is when hands are laid on them and they're prayed for and appointed by the elders of the church. So whatever that looks like in your church, it's fine. There's obviously some flexibility, whether they're kneeling, standing, doing a cartwheel at the same time, whatever. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to get into the weeds in terms of the timing, who prays what, who says what. There's some sort of an official laying on of hands a mm-hmm. recognition of, of the office. So it's not just... Who do you want the person to be? Yeah, You should know in your church who the elders are and who the elders are not. Um, it's also noteworthy to, to remind folks that it, it is reserved for qualified men. Mm-hmm. It's not for all men. In fact, it's for a very select few men. But it is an office that is reserved for qualified men. And I'm going to – the number one reason for this is – that when when Paul was outlining the qualifications for eldership, which we'll get to in a bit, one of the qualifications is they have to be apt to teach, not mm-hmm. biology, not math, not science, you know, blah, blah blah. So it's not like well, you're a teacher, you get a leg up. You're because you yeah. could, you could have the the ability to teach math, but not have the spiritual gift of being able to teach the Bible. So. They have to be apt to teach, so that's the a defining characteristic that differentiates deacons and elders. Mm-hmm. Whether that's teaching a small group Bible study or a forty-five minute Western style homily, whatever doesn't matter. But they have to be apt to exposit Scripture mm-hmm. in front of people. Now, in First Timothy chapter two, verse twelve. When Paul is talking about women in the church, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. So he's not saying I don't permit a woman to teach because the older women are to teach the younger, for example. Right, yeah. But it's all in the same context. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Okay, so in the context of teaching men, she must remain quiet. So women are not permitted in in the Bible— to instruct men in scripture. Can they instruct little girls? Yes. Little boys? Yes. Other women? Yes. Mm-hmm. In this respect, we need to be clear with our language. Women can be preachers, but they can't preach to men. Right. Yeah. So women can preach women's conferences, preach yep. to groups of women, preach in a small group to women, preach to children, mm-hmm. teach, uh, but they're not to teach, they're not to teach men. And Paul bases that not on culture, but creation order. Right. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So no one can look at that verse and say that's, there are disputable issues in the New Testament that may or may not be cultural issues. Right. Right. Yep. But one thing that's not cultural is that women are not permitted to teach men the word of God uh, in, in the life of the New Testament mm-hmm. church. Okay. So that's, that's kind of important. If, um, if a woman, therefore, in, in a lot of churches, if you're on staff and you're a woman, they just call you a pastor because they're yeah. sloppy with their language. Or in a lot of churches, they overlook that because they say, well, you know, Paul says, there's, no, there's neither Jew nor Greek slave or free, we're all mm-hmm. like in Christ. Okay, that, that's about our status and yeah. stature before God. We are all equal under God, for sure. We're mm-hmm. all made in the image likeness of God frankly some some women can preach better than some yeah, men
0: yeah.
1: right there's there's no question about yeah. that. That's beside the point. You might have a thirteen year old boy that's able to preach better than a thirty five year old man doesn't mean you appoint him to the office of an elder because he's not a spiritually mature person yet mm-hmm. so it's not it's not in any way shape or form derogatory or negative to put boundaries on how men and women function in the life of the church any more than we should have a problem with wives submitting to their husbands, husbands leading their wives, the eternal son submitting to the will of the eternal father, Christians submitting to state authorities properly exercising their authority. It's not bad in any way, shape, or form. So maintaining these boundaries in the life of the church is really important. And then um, I would also just say that when we think of pastors and elders, it appears, it, it appears in the New Testament that some served vocationally and were therefore paid, mm-hmm. supported financially by their by their flocks. And others served elsewhere. I think that's probably what Paul is referring to when he says, Let the elders that rule well be worthy of double honor. Don't kind of like don't muzzle an ox. Especially those that labor at preaching and teaching. So the idea there is that while all elders and pastors must be able to preach and teach, some evidently labor at it to the extent that the church has to come behind them and support them financially. They don't preach in order to get a paycheck. No. They preach and the church comes behind them with a paycheck and doesn't muzzle them, doesn't hinder them by forcing them to take on other employment. Because they're, they are laboring, serving, i.e. vocationally, at preaching and teaching. So we have no problem in our church with acknowledging that there is a plurality of elders. Some are vocational elders. Mm-hmm. The church supports financially because they labor at preaching and teaching. Others teach and preach, but they serve as engineers in an engineering firm right. or yeah. at a hospital or whatever it might be. So that's kind of a, a basic overview.
0: It's good. That's helpful. There's a lot of clarity in that, um, and the Bible is very clear too. in In the pastoral epistles, in First Timothy and Titus, and Second Timothy, what the qualifications are. So, can you run through those for us, uh, Aaron?
1: Sure. So, it, it's really important for people to just get their Bibles out at some point and read the lists. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, read First um, yeah. Peter, or sorry, First Timothy three. Kind of read through that passage. Uh, so that's 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, is another go-to mm-hmm. passage. 1 Peter 5 speaks of some of the qualifications. So those are your your kind of your three main chapters. I would throw in there uh, ti- uh Timothy or 2 Timothy 2 as well has some material in there. So 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5 and um, what did I say 2 Timothy 2. So Without reading that, I'll just sort of, I'll, I'll summarize it. Okay. So these are these are like the qualifications of pastors. So they have mm-hmm. to be blameless in their character. Blameless mean doesn't mean perfect like Jesus, but it means that if someone throws accusations at you, they don't stick. Right. Essentially, right. Yep. So you have you have a blameless character. You're you're thought of as a godly man. Mm-hmm. You also have to be called. So you have to aspire to it. It has to be uh, a, a desire. A spiritual desire, and has to be a correct, correctly motivated desire. Mm -hmm. Sometimes guys go into ministry because they think, "Oh, I'm going to get attention there." Mm -hmm. Well, you will you will get attention, (laughs) but it might be the kind of attention you (laughs) you don't want. Yeah, (laughs) it might be some slurs and some abuse, and maybe even some fines and tickets and threats or jail time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be called for the right reasons. Um, You have to be a family man, so you have to be able to control your 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 children mm-hmm. if you can't control your children and we're not talking about kids that have grown and left the house but if if a pastor and elder can't control his own children he has disqualified himself from ministry mm-hmm. and i remember when i was younger and my kids were younger i would actually say to them sometimes they were acting up i would say you know what if you if you keep this up you're actually disqualifying me from being able to serve smarten up so i wanted them to know that I expected them to obey me and follow my lead, but I also wanted them to understand that it's not an it's not a negotiable so if a pastor has a a kid that's in his home and it's not a, it's not like they're just going through a little rough patch for a few months but mm-hmm. they're you know they're they're a pothead they're sleeping around with their girlfriend they're a disobedient punk whatever they don't go to church they're pretending to be the opposite sex
0: mm-hmm.
1: You have disqualified yourself from ministry. And, the, and it makes sense because if you can't handle your little family, yeah. how in the world are you going to provide oversight to the church and all the complexities there? Yeah, He must be hospitable, meaning um, uh, friendly, warm, uh, able to interact with strangers. You, every once in a while you meet a guy that's sort of an ivory tower bookworm. He just, He wants to be a pastor because he loves just spending all of his time Reading commentaries, yeah. <laughs> and when he walks into the service on Sunday, he doesn't talk to people. He's not friendly. Doesn't remember people's names. Sorry, mm-hmm. you can be a teacher in the church, but that's you have to be hospitable to strangers in order to be a pastor. Obviously, humility, able to mentor, train up, encourage others. Self control is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Self control doesn't mean passive. I'm not exactly a passive person. No, but you have to be self controlled. So you you can't be a spaz, you know, <laughs> blow your top, freak out on people, yeah. lose your cool. You can't be quarrelsome. Mm-hmm. So debating is good, but when you're back and forth, back and forth arguing, quarreling with people, that's not that's not good. I have a personal rule even on social media when someone posts a comment contrary to or challenging something I've said, mm-hmm. I respond if at all once. Maybe twice if it's a back and forth, that's it. Yeah, I don't go back and forth because I don't want to be quarrelsome, right? I just, I just don't do that. Um, Sensible, meaning sober-minded, that's another qualification. Uh, Mm Clear-headed, so doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a credible IQ, but if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you have an eight-cylinder brain but it's running on four cylinders you're just you're a sloppy thinker. Yeah. You're just not clear-minded. You're not sober-minded, then find another area to serve. Yeah. <laughs> so being sober-minded is really important. Sexual purity yeah. is is super important. Uh, that for whatever reason, that's where the the um what do they call them? The uh, the scandals yeah. tend to be most obvious when pastors sin sexually or steal money mm-hmm. from a church or whatever. Those are the two big ones. They don't tend to get as much flack if they have a bunch of punks at home and their kids are brats, they might get a little bit of that, but yeah. they tend to really get uh, a lot of attention, even from the media, if they sin sexually or financially, which is interesting because the world actually promotes sexual sin, but then, is pretty hard on religious people when they sin sexually. So pastors need to be sexually pure. Mm. So you're not viewing pornography, you're not sleeping around with other women, you're not a flirt, you know, you're not you're you're, you're staying away from sexual sin. Mm-hmm. You are committed to to your wife. They have to be a shepherding man able to guide and direct the church and then as I mentioned earlier they have to be able to exposit scripture. Mm-hmm. Now, I I remember being in China back um, 15 some odd years ago, and you have all these little house churches, right? And literally, you get a bunch of Christians, and they all, they're all meeting together, and they're like new believers. And it's kind of like, um, who wants to be the pastor? <laughs> and I guess, <laughs> you dangerous. know, you almost yeah. pull, draw straws or something, and kind of the person that... I don't know. Speaks the best is the yeah. pastor, and some of these guys end up being put into these roles with almost no knowledge of Scripture aside from the basics of the gospel. Yeah. So there's there's no um, you know biblical ex- exhaustive list that says okay here's the, the the top 100 things you need to know to be a pastor, but yeah, one would assume. That having a basic knowledge of all areas of systematic theology, mm-hmm. obviously the qualifications for pastoral leadership, Christian ethics, mm-hmm. and the ability to read and interpret and then teach scripture would be bare minimum. So we we encourage that in our own church, that uh, oftentimes that takes place through some sort of a formal ordination process, but you know are are do you have a fairly shored up christology Hamardiology, mm-hmm. Angiology, eschatology soteriology you know the the different areas of systematic theology do you understand these doctrines of the church salvation angels demons mm-hmm. sin salvation mankind the holy spirit uh, you know god the, to understand that and then the ability to actually read and interpret and exposit scripture and then of course the basic ethical categories of scripture you, you know adultery's wrong lying's wrong mm-hmm. yeah. generosity is is a good thing so those would be things that a pastor would want to make sure is present or if a church is vetting men for the role or someone is starting at a new church and they're observing the leadership and asking like is this person actually an elder pastor. This is really important, by the way. I hadn't thought about this too much till now, but with so much movement between churches in our province, people having to travel to church because previous churches are closed. Yeah. Make sure that you, you're you observing before you dive in too deep. Make sure you're observing the pastor elders of the church and feel comfortable that they do qualify yeah. as um, uh pastors and elders and then together let's guard this office because when we guard the office we guard the church and we guard the church we guard the glory and mission of God.
0: Yeah, good. Um and and we we have seen a lot of people coming here because yep. they feel that that's been missing where they're at and we've gotten a lot of correspondence as well, emails from people who feel like they've been abandoned by their by their churches, by their pastors and um, they've, they've not spoken out against tyranny or, or they've just followed along blindly with whatever the government tells them to do. And um, as, as best as you can tell, why have so many of these pastors
1: and elders failed at this? Someone asked me this last week, and it, it's, I think it's a multiplicity of, of reasons. So f- for some people, it's one of these reasons, and for some, it's, it's many of these reasons— I think there's, there's several factors sort of at play, and, and it, is, it is quite astonishing. I, I do find it quite astonishing, actually, how, how many pastors, in my view, have just rolled over mm-hmm. and failed to speak up to any of this stuff. I think there's – many of them, I think, are they, – they have to be feeling some shame or some regret, preferably just repentance – because I'm not, am mm. not really interested in shaming people. I'm more interested in seeing them repent. I think some guys have become very defensive. Like I'll have guys that I, I haven't heard from for years, post little comments on my wall or uh-huh. you know whatever, <laughs> trying to like teach me or, yeah. or remind me to pray for others or whatever. And it, I think it's I think it's them defending their failure more than anything else. Doubling but, down on it. Yeah, yeah doubling down. So. Why have so many pastor elders failed their people? Well, part of it is this cultural wokeness, as we call it, that's Mm -hmm. going on in culture. This this diminishment of historical categories of logic, morality, virtue, this esteeming of political correctness, this going along with all the confusion surrounding human sexuality— the statism, the uh the critical race theory, mm-hmm. the um, the 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 efforts to silence individuals that are considered to be historically representatives of biblical Christianity mm-hmm. all of this wokeness many pastors have been affected by that and they don't necessarily even know it or maybe they were were educated in an environment where they actually are woke, even though they may not know they're woke. Mm-hmm. And so there's a worldview issue. So we have guys that have gone to seminary; they know how to exposit, interpret Ezekiel, <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they they know they have a strong position on biblical eschatology or whatever it might be. They may be tenured. They may be considered. Papa Bear pastors who are looked to for to mentor younger new pastors, but their worldview is not actually a Christian worldview. So there's a difference between there's a difference between being a Christian who understands scripture and actually thinking Christianly. Mm-hmm. Like thinking Christianly about, about the state, thinking Christianly about law, medicine, yourself history, philosophy. So we have a lot of, and, and this is true of people in our church, right? Mm-hmm. So we have some really good people in in our own church. And we, and we had some really good people in our church even before all the lockdowns who left. And you're like, okay, I was not expecting that. Those are like really good people. They've been in the church for a long time. They've served in positions of leadership. They left because they don't actually have a Christian, a thoroughly robust Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. So an example would be they idolize medicine, or yeah. they they actually believe that the media is reporting the truth. Mm-hmm. Or they believe that the church is subject in its worship and ministry to the edicts of the state. Yeah. Or whatever it might be. And Many of them, it's because they were raised in secular humanistic schools, and they're the categories of thinking that inform their decisions. Their their basic basic philosophy of life is not a Christian one. I'm not right. saying they're not born again believers, but they don't have a Christian worldview. So that's that's part of it. And mm-hmm. pastors are like that too. Um. Secondly, Jay, I would just say. Okay, so I want to be kind in this, but I also want to be clear. Just because you have the capacity to dunk people in a baptistry or prepare and preach a sermon or meet with someone who is going through a divorce and give them some counseling doesn't mean you're a leader. Right. So... I think there's a lot of people in pulpits today that were appointed to the office of elder, pastor, bishop, overseer, whatever word you want to use, who are who actually have shepherding gifts, mm-hmm. and may even may ha- even may even have teaching gifts, but they don't have leadership gifts. So they're they're because sh- the word sh- shepherd, uh, the word pastor means shepherd, and one can can have a shepherding gift, but not be an actual pastor or right. elder. Yeah. Just like one can have teaching gifts, but not be an actual teacher or like almost like the office of teacher that was established in the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And I think there are many pastors that are really nice men. Like they genuinely love people and they are, they're kind and they have a heart for Christ, but they're not overseers. hmm like the word overseer is the, the, the best word of those three to refer to someone who actually leads, who oversees the church. So it would be better if they served as teachers in the church or shepherding counselors in the church. Yeah. But they're, they're not actually overseers. They don't lead people. Yeah. And so when you're, you might be able to get away with that if you have other strong leaders. But when you're in a crisis like this, yeah. if you're not a leader, <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Right? It's just not going to go well. So they, they may have their M Div, they may be ordained, but they're not leaders. So that's a problem. The third thing that comes to mind is poor ecclesiastical structures, poor church structures. Mm-hmm. If you're in a church, so we've had we've had some men who have reached out to us that are frustrated. They're they're senior pastors, for example, of a church, and they're like, oh. I, I, I'm I'm sick and tired of what's going on. I want to push back. I want to push back against the mask mandates, the social distancing, the lockdown. You know, whatever it might be. They're pushing back against A, B, C. I want to speak out against C four, but I can't bring my board along. My elders mm-hmm. have said no, or we have to vote on it as a congregation. By the way, there's no voting in the Bible, period, um, and there's certainly no voting from. Congregants. I mean, think how ludicrous that is. You can mm-hmm. have someone who's been saved for a week having an equal say to a guy that's been an elder in a church for forty years. It's it's, it's absurd. <laughs> but if you have a church where your structures are established in such a way that it's almost impossible to make expedient decisions, this is the this is um, uh, going to lead you to stall out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, know, I know there's guys that might be listening to this that are strong co- congregationalists. I'm very opposed to congregational governance. I don't think it's in the Bible at all. But even if you are very a very strong advocate for congregational government, if, if your congregational government has disallowed the elders of the church from making decisions to lead during these times of unprecedented tyranny and struggle... You need to rethink some things. You need to rethink the structures of your church, uh, because it's unimaginable to me that God would put structures in place—let's say congregational governance—that make it impossible for leaders to actually lead. It just, mm-hmm. I, I just, I can't fathom how that could be true. That God would would advocate for structures that don't actually work in the midst of yeah. trials like this. Yeah. But I'm not a pragmatist. So my primary reason for arguing against congregationalism is not pragmatism or the speed at which one can make decisions. I just don't see it in scripture. Uh I see input. I see quality of personhood and uh, service in the life of the church. But it's an overseer oversees. Mm -hmm. An overseer doesn't wait for the other, the entire congregation to oversee him and then just Run their plays.
0: Yeah. Nothing yeah. good gets done. Yeah. I think, you know, you talked about leaders, leadership as one of the key elements in pastoral ministry. And I think that's the one thing that gets missed by so many when they think of, well, what's a Canadian pastor? Um, well, he's a nice guy who loves the Lord, who loves people and gets up and preaches on a Sunday. And And I, I think that that key element is missing in a lot of even growing up
1: my understanding of what a pastor really is. So that's very helpful. You know, someone should start a podcast called leadership now to help people to think through. (laughs) That's a great idea. Don't, don't tell anyone (laughs) We'll we'll work on that one. (laughs) That's good. But yeah, I I have a heart for this because I, you know, I've had to learn to be a leader Mm -hmm. and leadership is a a steep learning curve, especially if you, if you don't have a lot of leaders around you or maybe you're, learning under bad leaders. Yeah. And we all have both. So leadership is, I mean, that's a huge subject, right? Yeah. Um, but we do need our, at the end of the day, if you're a pastor and you're still sitting in your office, like I hear guys say, um, I'm just trying to think of the exact language. I've heard guys say, like, after almost two years of this, I'm just still not sure what to do. Well, God bless you. But if you're not sure after two years, you're not a leader. Yeah. That's not even a derogatory statement. Not everybody's a leader. Who cares? Not everybody's a leader. But if after two years, you don't know what to do, just admit it. You're not a leader. Yeah. You might have some leadership potential and you need to find people that can help you to lead. But you're not a leader. So you know the old statement of leadership if you're – If you're leading a bunch of people across a meadow and you turn around and no one's following you, you're (laughs) You're not not a leader. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Nor are you a leader if you're standing in the middle of the meadow and a bunch of people are waiting for you to give them direction, you're still staring off into the blue skies. Yeah. And this is the the imagery that comes to mind when I see a lot of – the way a lot of churches have conducted themselves. So we have some brothers out there that have said some things that I think are just – flat out wrong
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, about lockdowns and statism and whatnot. But at least they're saying something that people can debate and dispute. But there's a lot of churches that have, a lot of people that have said, I, I've heard nothing from my leaders. They don't say anything. Hmm. They just, I mean, they might announce on a given Sunday what the latest health protocols are. They're not helping us to think through any of this stuff. Yeah. So that's a problem. Well, we also have uh fear, cowardice, mm-hmm. willful ignorance, you know, all those all those um um sins really yeah. that yeah. are present in a lot of pastors. I also would say Jay, and you know, in our church we've railed on this for a long time. So we have I think you might know better than me. I think we have maybe around 16 17 people that serve on our staff in various Mm -hmm. full and part-time roles. Some are elders, some aren't. But when I say our staff, what I mean by that is people that serve in areas of church service or leadership and the church supports them financially. Mm -hmm. And then we have hundreds of other people that serve in other areas of ministry in the church. Generally you know who work elsewhere, mm-hmm. and they're not supported financially by the church unless they're in a crisis. But we have people that are on our staff, as we call it. It's not the greatest language. But it's, mm-hmm. it's the language we have at our disposal. And they are supported financially by the church. But we say to people, look, please, 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 don't ever join our staff. And we say to our staff, don't think of this as your employment. Right. Don't think of this as your employment. Because if you think of it as your employment, then you're always going to be tempted to become a man pleaser to keep your yeah. job. Well, what if the what if the elders fire me? What if the lead pastor fires me? What if my supervisor gives me a bad review? Right. Yeah. And a lot of pastors, I I would say around the time I went and in t- started into vocational ministry, which would be going back 28 years, uh, it was we would we would use language more like a call. We didn't didn't really talk about going into a church ministry as a pastor as a job, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people think of pastoral ministry as a job. Like guys say I'm applying for a job. In all honesty, people need to stop applying for pastoral ministry jobs. Churches should seek people out, people should have conversations, but this whole idea of putting out a job post and collecting resumes, I find it pretty off-putting. Because if you treat people like employees, you're gonna act like employees. And yes, we have ministry descriptions. People are accountable to keep office hours. They have reviews, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff to help them to accelerate. But if you're an employee, this is my, this is my career. This is my job. If okay. that's your mindset, when your job or career or paycheck are threatened, you're gonna second guess how bold and courageous you wanna be. Mm-hmm. So it's really important <laughs> For us to be, as staff pastors, to be appreciative of the financial remuneration the church offers to us. But I can tell you, over my dead body, will I ever make a decision with any consideration for my paycheck? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. I'm not going to sit there and think, oh, should I preach this? What if if I get fired? No, that never crosses my mind. Should I counsel this person in this way? What if they leave the church and the offerings go down? Who cares? We have to be principled people. You don't make your decisions because you're concerned about losing your job. You do what's right. You always default to what is right, mm-hmm. to what is moral, to what you believe is 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 God's plan for you or that ministry. And you let the consequences be what be what they may be. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say let the chips fall where they may. Where <laughs> they may, but that sounds a little casino-ish. Yeah. Well, we are in Windsor. Yeah, we are in Windsor. So I I learned this lesson early on that the church, even though the church gives me a quote unquote paycheck every two weeks, Mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for it, I am grateful for that, I don't think of this as a job. And I never make decisions worried about whether people are going to leave or people are going to come or what people are going to think. Mm-hmm. Or whether that will make me look bad. I, I try to make my decisions based upon what I believe is right, what is correct and moral, and let, what, let people's responses be what they, they will be. Now, to encourage guys that may be struggling with that, I'll tell you this. When you start to think that way and act that way, generally, you actually increase people's trust in you. Mm-hmm. Because they realize you're not in it for the money, yeah. and they they realize that you're principled. So we, we need we need more of that, not less of that. And then I would just say also mm-hmm. we have, you know, guys that um, you know are, are worried about trying to get to retirement age or auxiliary issues like whether the insurance company is going to pull support, <laughs> these sorts of things. And so they're not speaking out because of all that. But at the end of the day. Their people are suffering, and their churches are going to suffer if they don't smarten up.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the unique challenges that lay, lie ahead for the church?
1: Well, in Canada, we have Bill C-4, and a lot of our American brothers are partnering with us in an initiative in mid-January. So in, on January yeah. the 8th, I believe, Bill C-4 becomes law, which yeah. is falsely called the conversion therapy mm-hmm. bill. It, it essentially declares the Bible, uh, which, which promotes a robust theology that heterosexuality between man and a woman is the only legitimate option mm-hmm. for people. That is normative, creationally normative. And it, it declares that teaching to be a myth. So that's gonna become law on, um, on, I think around January 8th or 9th. So the following Sunday, we and a bunch of guys in the US are gonna preach sermons on biblical mm-hmm. morality. And we're not gonna do it come and arrest us. Yeah. Throw us in jail. Give us a five-year sentence. When I get out, I'll preach the exact same thing. Yep. (laughs) Right? So, and while I'm in jail, I'll preach it to the inmates. Yep. So I would say that those kinds of bills that really overtly attack biblical authority Mm -hmm. are going to become increasingly commonplace. And we have guys, I think that will be, they're going to start scrubbing their websites of all sermons that speak against homosexuality because yeah. they're concerned about liability or they're just not gonna post them you know, for fear of getting busted or they're gonna be passively indifferent or they're gonna actually believe that the conversion therapy bill is about conversion therapy. Yeah, Okay, we can talk at length about that, but we've done that in another yep. podcast. Or you're gonna have the the ecclesiastical guys. Here's, here's what I think is gonna happen, if I could predict a little bit. You're gonna have various denominations and groups get together and they're gonna pass resolutions or policies that say, we 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 as a group of such and such churches, we disagree with Bill C4. And then all the churches be like, yeah, we've agreed. We disagree with C4. And then that's just going to be an in-house document. They're never going to mm-hmm. engage the political structures. They're never going to engage the educational structures. They're never going to speak truth to corrupt power. It's just going to be another piece of paper that they spend a lot of time coming up with that's going to amount to nothing mm-hmm. in the real world. So that's a problem. Unique challenges, we're going to have those kinds of bills. Woke seminaries are becoming increasingly a problem. It is very difficult to find a faithful seminary that teaches the systematics, biblical exegesis, that holds to a robust view of biblical inerrancy, and fallibility, and that is able to speak against falsehoods in culture. They're bowing to it well, you know, maybe this is okay. Maybe the gay agenda is okay. Well, let's do courses on CRT. Let's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's go along with vax passports. Let's, um, you know, let's segregate our people. Let's, you know, every time there's an issue that Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden or someone is promoting, they're, they're right on that. So woke seminaries are a problem. Seminaries tend to be staffed by men that have been senior pastors or men that have just spent all their lives studying Greek, Hebrew, systematics. They're good scholars, but they're not necessarily guys that have spent any time in the real world. Mm-hmm. They're not engaged with people. They don't understand cultural theology. Uh, and they're not equipping, a lot of these seminars, they're not equipping their students to actually engage with cultural issues. Right. In fact, some of them would even say the cultural issues are something separate from ministry. Yeah, that the two the the two shall not meet, right? And then I think a lot of pastors are going to have a problem regaining trust in their people. So if you have gone along with the um, the cultural narrative over the last twenty months, which by now is it's becoming increasingly exposed, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. now we have medical people coming out saying, "Yeah, I guess cloth masks." <laughs> what, what did one lady say was just um, basically like trendy face, facial apparel? Yeah doesn't really accomplish anything. Well, intelligent people knew that a year and a half ago. You stick an old T-shirt on your face and you think you're going (laughs) to protect yourself from a virus? Come on. But we went along with that. They've gone along with the vaccines, Just, just two vaxes. And now we're discovering, oh, we need a third vax. And that only lasts for 10 weeks, according to the New York Post. So now we're realizing the medical establishment isn't as smart as it has presented itself, mm-hmm. as they, they don't really know the efficacy of the vaccines, even though they've promoted it as safe and awesome and the solution to all of this. There's a lot of sketchiness. So pastors that have promoted that, or you know, put their foolish p- Facebook or Twitter—I've um, <laughs> seen a few guys that say nothing against the culture wars, and they got their little picture boosted. You know, <laughs> I've been boosted. Just got vaxxed, I'm boosted. Uh-huh. Well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe Jesus will add a ruby to your crown in heaven because you were boosted, <laughs> but you didn't help your people uh, who lost their jobs because their consciences uh, were otherwise, or you didn't say give a word of support to pastors that were fined or mm-hmm. thrown in jail in our country. You've said a grand total of nothing against Bill C-4, against Bill C-7, et cetera. But you're boosted, mm-hmm. right? So guys that, are, that, are, that have done this, they're going to have to take about a 10-year break from ever preaching against persecution, yeah. calling their people to follow Jesus Christ, sacrifice their lives for Christ. Their people going to say, are you kidding me? Really? Mm-hmm. You want me to lay it all down for Jesus and you laid nothing down? during this time of turmoil and trial and persecution for the Christian church. So that's going to be a problem. Biblical literacy is is a growing problem. We have more resources at our disposal than ever before. And so many people don't seem to understand the Bible. Basic categories of the gospel, the kingship of Christ over creation. Are you kidding me? Christ is king. Do you understand that? That's a problem. And then I think I'll just mention one more a unique challenge is going to be the rise of egalitarianism because we have a lot of wimpy men yeah. who, do, who won't take a lead. And if they don't take a lead, then understandably the women will rise up and take their roles from them. And then that will just create more problems in marriages and church ministry and with children and family and in the gender wars and all that kind of stuff. We could speak about that at length. But a confusion of roles is one of the signs of a failing culture. And we're already seeing that mm-hmm. in the church. And I think that's going to become an increasing problem. And if churches don't get that one right, they're just going to create a multiplicity of other problems in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what hope is there then in for the future of pastoral leaders in, in Western nations like Canada and the United States?
1: Well, I would say, number one, we need to clarify. That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. What is a pastor? What are... What are elders? What are their responsibilities? What are their qualifications? And are we actually going to enforce and promote and teach and bring clarity to these issues in our churches? Yeah. So clarity, clarity, clarity is super important, super important. We need to create men of conviction and men of perseverance and men that are open-handed rather than close-fisted about their ministry who, who see it as a stewardship not being concerned about losing their jobs or getting fired we should kind of welcome that mm-hmm. if we take a stand and we get fired we should welcome that um we we need guys that are that are aware of culture so not just guys that can open the bible this is how a lot of guys are taught to preach and they 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 think this is so super spiritual right it's like they open their bible on sunday and they get up and and they're like you know this is what the Bible says. 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 And you're getting a lot of amens. Oh, this guy's a real good exegete, right? He, oh, he throws a few Greek words in and a few Hebrew words. And he's got the, you know, the preacher's wine. You know, the preacher's wine. Yeah. Right. Where instead of saying God, you say go. You know, you kind of just really lay it on thick, yeah. like you come across as this really intense expositor of scripture who spent like 40 hours in his study just pouring over the Greek text and he's just able to exposit every nuance. But he has no clue about what's going on Mm -hmm. outside the doors of the church and he's not equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. There's no connection between what the Bible says and what you're supposed to do with what God has said. Faithful preachers... Will exposit scripture and then give application, warning, mm-hmm. criticism, encouragement to their people in light of what's going on in the church, in light of what's going on in culture, in light of what's going on in politics, law, education, mm-hmm. seeing God's, God, Christ is king over all of these things. He's Christ, Christ is king over all authorities, all powers, all thrones. He will bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, which hinges on the lordship of Christ, to bear on all spheres of life. Right? He will preach. He will preach the word of God to the people of God in such a way that they can take the word of God, experience conviction, life transformation, and go out and live properly in their marriages, their families, in education, in science. And bring the light of the gospel to bear upon all spheres of life. Amen. So not just this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, but helping people to understand it and bring it to bear on on culture. I also have a sneaky suspicion, Jay, that we might be, you know, I was a church planner. So we've always said, you know, the more churches, the better. We need a church for every 2,000 people to reach the populace. I have a suspicion that we're going to see fewer churches, Mm -hmm. but maybe bigger churches we're going to see a consolidation of resources and leadership because there's not going to be enough pastors to lead churches. Yeah. And little churches are going to get swallowed up in, in the, with the threats and the, 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 the wars on culture. So I have a suspicion two things are probably going to happen. We're going to have certain churches grow and grow and grow and, and carry a bigger stick in culture. And then you're gonna have others, I think wrongly, flee to house churches, thinking that oh, if we just hunker down in little mm-hmm. groups inside of houses, that's the future. I don't think the future of the Canadian church is in house churches. I think the problem with house churches is you you tend to struggle with really having high quality leaders. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit idyllic. It's a little bit um, uh, quaint. It's a little bit, um, shall we say, it, it, it sort of has this this sense of authenticity, but the downside to, to little house churches with ill-equipped leaders, with lay, lay leaders, with lack of structure, again, you can get away with that for a few years and have a really, really good time, but how are you engaging culture? Yeah, exactly. How, how are you yep. speaking truth to power? How are you you know, planting a flag in the soil and saying, you know, we're claiming this nation or we're claiming this area for Christ. So, you know, many will, I'm sure will react to that because I know of a lot of good friends that are just really enjoying the house church movement right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's where the future of the church is. I think churches like ours are going to be absolutely critical and necessary, growing larger churches that have resources and people that frankly kind of scare politicians. Mm -hmm that politicians think twice about messing with and that can equip and train people to go into science, education, um, uh, you know, medicine, law, and actually make a difference. Yeah. So you need a lot of people to do that with a lot of different um, skill sets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pastors also need to just, I mean, they need to be godly. I mean, you have to be, You have to love Jesus more than anything, more than your own life. If you don't love Jesus more than your own life, you will fail. So loving Jesus, being black and white about certain things. Every pastor should be able to say, "I, I will take a bullet for Christ. There's no question about it. I'm absolutely sure about the gospel. I'm absolutely sure about the authority of scripture. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely sure about the second coming of Christ. Absolutely sure about these things. I don't waver on them. It's not like dark gray. It's black mm-hmm. and it's white. So we need men that are godly and men of conviction. These are, these are going to be critical um, qualities and characteristics to lead in, in the coming months and years.
0: Absolutely. So one final question then, um, how can Christians contribute to a strong view of pastor elder leadership then?
1: Well, I hope that our teaching today on pastoral leadership mm-hmm. does is, is more than just a benefit to pastors and elders. I hope it actually equips God's people who are not pastoring or eldering in churches to know what to look for. So hopefully we've already said some things that are helpful, but to maybe bring some clarity to this, if I were to speak to the average Christian and they were say, okay, how how should I be interacting with pastors and elders? What should I be thinking about? The first thing that comes to mind would be, you need to know what the office is. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you right may there. you may be the kind of person that is being called to that, or you may have an influence in who those people are in the life of your church. So you need to bring you need to know what is a pastor, what is an elder, what are the qualifications, and look for those and make sure that the men that are serving in that role. Actually qualify, um, and then affirming those that qualify, or maybe talking to younger men in the church that you see developing giftedness mm-hmm. in, encouraging them. You know, I've, I've seen some things in you. I, you know, when you, when you speak, people listen. I mean, when you you have a, you have some wisdom about you. You seem to understand Scripture. Your your relationships are intact. Affirming these qualities in people's lives. I know in my life, when I was very young, I mean, it never even crossed my mind to go into pastoral ministry. Like no one, nobody ever even hinted at that. Mm-hmm. But as I matured and I became more aware of who I was and what God was calling me to, well, then all of a sudden people were like affirming it, right? Yeah. But how much better would it have been if maybe earlier on people were affirming it step by step? You know, keep your. You want to, as as a layperson too. You want to balance. You want to keep your leaders accountable, but you also don't want to act like you are their boss or overseer. So a lot of people have this idea. Well, I'm not a pastor, but I keep the I keep the pastor accountable. I send him an email every Monday (laughs) criticizing his sermon, right? Mm -hmm. Or I come up and tap him on the shoulder and say, "Sir, there's two new people over there that need to be greeted. You need to go greet them." Mm -hmm. Or you know, I I remind him of. You know his responsibility to pray for his people or whatever it might be. And those people are off-putting and frankly irritating. <laughs> um, pastors don't need you reminding them of their duties on a regular basis unless they actually need to be reminded of their duties because they are not fulfilling them. Right. So you wanna be supportive of them. You want to be under them, but also encourage them. A good analogy would be a wife that is submissive to her husband is gonna submit to her husband's leadership but she's also, if she's a wise woman, going to function in such a way that she's encouraging him to be the kind of leader yeah. that she needs him to be. So affirming when he makes a good decision, hey, way to go, hun. Maybe graciously and gently having a conversation when he's failing. Mm-hmm. So that's the same kind of dynamic we want to see between pastors and congregations. And then submit to your leaders when they're doing the right thing. You know, not yeah. uh, m- pastoral leadership is not comprehensive. Pastors don't have authority over every aspect of your life, your personal finances, who you marry, the color of shirt you wear to church, how many kids you have, your specific educational choices, but they're going to give you broad-based direction and you're responsible to submit to them uh, as to the Lord.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I hope this brings a lot of clarity to uh, the office of pastor, elder, to for people. I, I know growing up for so many years in this church, This is not new for me. This has been taught here. And and, um, it's it's important that people get this. And uh, so thank you for the clarity, Aaron. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Uh, Please subscribe on all our media platforms. Find us on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app and on cjxc.ca radio. And tune in for another episode next week. And Happy New Year.